Hi. Hey, man. Looking good. How are you? You know what? I'm I'm really well. Things are very, very good. And and in the midst of all the strangeness of this time and and uh, the heartache of it and all that, there's a lot of silver linings. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, a lot of opportunity to reassess, re-engage, reconnect. That's so and we have we have some frontline kids, you know, we've got a police officer, we've got an ER nurse, we've got a Costco worker, you know. So, oh, wow. Yeah. But so, I'm busier than I've ever been. So this is. A, oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, uh, we're going to make things a little confusing for you. I've been emailing you, obviously. I'm Matt Hep. Yep. My co-host is also named Matt, so. Yeah, <laughs> I, I knew that. I think that's easier. Yeah, you'll just, yeah. I mean, just yeah. say Matt and you're bound to get an answer. And our youngest son is a Matt. Matthew. Oh, is he really? So he's a Matt, yep. How old is he? 26, almost 27. 27 next month. 27. Okay, wow. so he's, he's just a few years younger than us, so. Yep. Yeah, and then we have six kids, so they go all the way up to 39, almost 40. Wow. And you've got grandkids, too. 12 of them. Oh, my oh, goodness. Gosh. All 12 years old and under, and nine of them are within 15 minutes, and we don't get, <laughs> we don't get to hug them right now, and the youngest ones chase us around. Like, oh, my goodness. Come on, come on, come on. I think I've heard you on another podcast even refer to your grandkids. Uh, I, th I think it was the Bad Christian podcast, and you were <laughs> you were talking about grandkids and how like you know you can't really hold on to uh, some. I, I can't remember how exactly you put it, but something about you, you kind of are religious or something like that with your kids, and then when your grandkids. Yeah come along you can't really hold on to that very well much. as long as you've continued to change you're always going to be a better grandfather than you were a dad you know hmm. and, I'm, I'm uh, a dad of four months right now wow congratulations that's Thanks, fantastic man. and um i tell you children will change your world grandchildren will really change your world i had a i had a guy who um he said to me one time he comes from a very reformed conservative background and he says he said, Paul, this is how sad this is. I was so disconnected or compartmentalized uh, as a father that I was able theologically to send my own kids to hell. Yeah. But when, wow. it, came, when it came to being a grandfather, I couldn't do it anymore. There it is. That, that's what you referenced. Yeah. yeah. That's I remember really you saying that exact. That yeah. Thing. I'll tell you one of the greatest gifts of being a grandfather is that I'm watching some of the deficits I inflicted on my kids be healed by the way that I love their kids. Oh, wow. I didn't know. Nobody had ever told me about that. And, and I'm watching it happen. And it's, it's remarkable. And it makes sense when you think about it. It's like, yeah, you're a loving part of who they are. And, and by doing it well, it's leaking back into the history and beginning to redeem, wow. redeem some of that. How interesting. Yeah. I think it's more obvious with, we have two daughters and four sons. With, uh, I think with our daughters, uh, we have one who's married and has two little kids. And okay. I, di I did the best job I knew how to do as a father. You know, I read the books and did all that stuff, but I had not <laughs> dealt with a lot of my own, my own internal healing. So it wasn't something that was coming from the inside out, except if you count your head, but that was, training a child in the way they should go, right? Sure. And rather than train up a child in their way, which is what the Hebrew says. 
and uh, which is completely oh, wow. different. Uh, mind blower, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. So, so if you train up a child in the way they should go, then everybody's trying to figure out what's the way they should go, and it doesn't seem to work because everybody's, you know. And but the Hebrew is train up a child in their way. Every child has their way. So part of the beauty and wonder of being a parent is that you get to discern the way of this particular child and then train them up according to their way. And of course they won't depart from it when they're old because it's their way, you know, but we bury their way under the way they should go, right? That's the external Christian behavioral, you know, dare to discipline whatever the, the fad is at the moment. <laughs> and uh, as opposed to trusting the Holy Spirit to help well, guide, I, your, guide you as a parent into their, to understand and discern the, through knowing who your child is. I can already tell this is going to be a really good conversation. I'm excited. <laughs> ah, anytime you're ready. Well, man, we, well, we've been recording since you got on, so this is great. Sweet. Let so me. I, th I thought uh, I was. I thought I was not muted. But do you do you go by William or Paul or Paul? Paul. Okay. I'm one okay. of four generations of Paul of Williams who don't go by William. So we gotcha. all go. By, we all go by our middle names. So I put William on the book as a joke because nobody in my world knew me as a William. Oh, how and, funny! And, and it was was even funnier was that I would get calls from friends like up in Canada and they'd go like, Paul, have you read this book by this William Young? I mean, are you related to him? Like he oh thinks my like goodness. you. I go, I heard he's a heretic, you know. <laughs> <laughs> How funny. It well, is. So, so, Paul. So okay. speaking okay. of the book, I mean, obviously that's been a, a big part of your story. So I'll, I'll give you the 15 second version of kind of what Nichols and I, of what Nichols and I do with this. Yeah. yeah so we, we call each other by our last names because we don't uh, like That totally makes sense Matt. to me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Otherwise, it just sounds like we're talking to ourselves. I got it. So the premise of our podcast basically is we grew up uh, in the conservative, fundamentalist, Bible Belt, evangelical. Yeah, all the same things. And yep. so you're familiar with, with uh, the instruction that you got to be careful who you listen to, what you let go in your ears. Yeah, exactly, because it might not be me. That's right. And okay. so we, we thought with this podcast – as long as we put our helmets on, we'd probably be safe from anything people were telling us. So Sweet. helmet theory podcast. So that's, there you go. That's very well, clever. And then my interpretation of that is just, Hey, we want to live life as if we had to have helmets, you know? So like, Oh, nice. Yeah. So. <laughs> on the edge a bit. That's right. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, at, at some point it's gotta be all in, eh? That's right. 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 Yeah. So I'm really curious, um, and I know that our listeners have been really excited when we said that we were inviting you onto the show. So first of all, thanks for hanging out with us this evening. We're I just really excited that you'd take some time to, to chat, and I know it's going to be a really good discussion. So there's a little book that you uh, wrote called The Shack. <laughs> yeah, I know. Who would have thought, right? <laughs> and that little book turned out to be a number one bestseller for quite a long time. Yeah, 49 weeks in a row, number one on the New York Times. I mean, like, I made 15 copies at Office Depot that did everything I ever wanted that book to do. <laughs> how funny. So, so, what, so what's you, the background to the book? I mean, how did, how did you get from Paul, the guide? To, yeah. So did you write it just like as your as own a, thing? Or as like, a gift for my children for Christmas. And, wow. and, and uh, our youngest, Matthew, our Matthew was 12 years old at the time. And Kim had been saying to me about for about four years, and this is to drop back a bit, missionary kid, preacher's kid, firstborn, went to Bible school, degree in theology, went to seminary, right? I mean, 
performer, right? And, but never wanted to be a professional Christian. Sexual abuse in boarding school, sexual abuse on the mission field, the dad who didn't know how to be a father, you know, all of those things mixed into this. I drag all this into my marriage. I blow up our marriage. Kim catches me in a four month affair with one of her best, three month affair with one of her best friends. And that starts an 11 year journey of either where I'm just gonna kill myself or I'm gonna actually find a way to change. Wow. And, that, and that 11 years is represented as the weekend in the shack in the book. The shack then becomes the house on the inside that people help you build. And for a lot of us, it's the house of shame. It's where, it's our own broken heart. And, uh, but that's where we store our addictions and hide all of our secrets and never invite anybody into. And, um, and that's the metaphor behind it. So it took Kim and I 11 years to heal, 11 years to reconcile. And reconciliation is the rebuilding of trust. Forgiveness is the release of the victim to their own life. Yeah. So forgiveness is for the victim. Reconciliation is for the perpetrator. And reconciliation requires you own what you did. You confess. You tell the truth about it. You... Uh, continue to own it and you change over time, right? You ask for forgiveness to the people you've hurt. And that's a process with no, no guaranteed outcomes whatsoever. And when reconciliation happens, it's miraculous. I mean, it's like, it's greater than raising the dead, you know, because raising the dead is only biological. And this is the transformation of a human heart. So the last four years of those 11 years, Kim started to say, you know, someday, because I've written all my life, but I wrote poetry and songs and short stories, and hmm. they became gifts for friends and family, you know. Um, but I've never, never even crossed my mind to publish anything. Never, never did. I, just not my world. And she said, you know, someday, as a gift for our kids, would you put in one place how you think, because you think outside the box. And, <laughs> and, and I didn't feel ready to do that. I didn't feel healthy enough to do that until... 2005, the year I turned 50. And when 2005 clicked over, I'm going like, oh my gosh. And I'd been through intense therapy. I've been through all kinds of stuff during those 11 years. You know, I'd let men into my life. Men had done most of the damage in my world. A lot of process stuff. And Kim and I incrementally, I mean, incrementally began to, to build something that was alive. But it, it took fully the 11 years before she actually trusted me. But the year I turned 50, I'm going like, oh my gosh, I'm like, I'm like one of the most whole people that I know. I mean, I have no secrets. I have no addictions. I'm not even addicted to doing something great for God, you know, like all the gold chain addictions. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I, I am the same person in every situation. I'm not this split apart. I didn't even know you could live that way. I always had been a different person depending on the environment and the audience because I didn't know how to live from the inside out. That was part of my religious training and part of my experiences. And then joy had become a constant companion. And I'd finally, for the first time in my life, become a child. The sexual abuse had started when I was about five and I, that obliterates your childhood. And so I'm like, you know what? And I'm working three jobs, right? So I'm thinking like, huh, maybe I can do this that Kim's been asking me to do for like four years. And so on the train, mostly on the train to one of my three jobs, I wrote a story, got it done before Christmas, made 15 copies at Office Depot and six went to the kids. Kim and I kept a copy and I gave the extras to my friends, the shack, 
and I went back to work and never crossed my mind to publish. And my kids, it was the only thing I had for them. We had nothing that year and only thing I had for them for Christmas. And, oh, wow. And they're like, a book. Thanks, Dad. We'll get right on that, you know. And, Little did uh, they know. Well, and it took them a while, but my friends started getting all over it. And they're like, can I send this to my friends? I'm like, yeah. So I made, we pulled a little collection, made 15 more copies at Office Depot and so that my friends could give it to their friends. And that whole so, thing started a chain reaction that ended up with 49 weeks in a row, number one on the New York Times, you know. And Out of curiosity, do, do any of y'all have any of those original manuscripts? Yeah, yeah, we now do. That's, that's fun. That's cool. It is fun. It is. And, and it's, uh, it was, it was two years before it was put into actual print. And, um, and, uh, so, so what, I wrote it, it for Christmas, 2005 and the first, the first books, cause 26 publishers turned it down and it didn't bother me one bit cause I had no expectations for it to ever be a sure. book to begin with. So, you know, the, the beauty of those 11 years that it had des destroyed in a, in the most positive sense, my proclivity to look at performance or production as a basis for identity, right? That, that my identity was going to be derived from something that I did. So those first 15 copies did everything I ever wanted that book to do. And everything was in place before I wrote the book. My identity, my worth, my value, my significance, security, meaning, purpose, destiny, community, love, everything that mattered to me. The, the one thing the book has done, it has been a doorway and an, an open door invitation into the holy ground of other people's stories. That's the, that's the miraculous burning bush element of, of the shack. It has, I mean, it's the number two book in the history of Brazil. Croatia as a country adopted it as their book of the decade. And you start you start going like, what is this, you know? And I feel very much like a third party watching this thing unfold. You know, I wrote it for my kids for Christmas. And, and it, it was just like God says, well, you know, you gave it to your kids and now I'm going to give it to mine. Yeah. And, and it was like, I get to participate in that? Like, how unbelievably beautiful so people say what do you do now i say oh you know i walk around barefoot <laughs> <You know? laughs> so. well so it's it's interesting because what a beautiful story first of all what i mean if you're gonna write a book that's got to be the best way to write a book i mean accidentally for your family out of a sense of re restoration and, the, and that whole thing but we we can't hardly talk about the shack without talking about you know there's two views on the shack oh i know as you're, there's, as there's you're very well. Two. My mom called me a heretic. So, <laughs> so nobody's going to be able to top that. I'm sorry. Yeah, right. Yeah. So oh. that, that's funny you say that. When I told my mom that we were having, having you on the podcast and um, <laughs> she said, and of course she was kidding. She read the book several years ago, but she said, it's so weird having God as a woman. Tell him that. Yeah. Let me read a passage for you. Oh, please. Here oh, we go. Heck you'll yeah. love this. Okay. <laughs> All right. Get out my sword, right? Because I grew up in this. Here we go. So this is Isaiah 46. And I'm going to read it to you in English. And then I'm going to add the Latin words because um, the Hebrew was translated into Greek before Jesus. And then it was later translated into Latin, you know, and, um, 
And, and a lot of our English language comes from the Greek and Latin roots. And so you'll recognize a lot of our medical terms, for example, are Latin, correct? So, so here's how the verse goes. This is a, uh, I'll tell you afterwards where it is exactly. It says, listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel. You who have been born, B-O-R-N-E, so carried, yeah? You who have been born by me from birth and have been carried from the womb, even to your old age, I'll be the same. And even to your graying years, I will bear you. I have done it. I will carry you. I will bear you and I will deliver you, right? Even in the English, that's pretty powerful. So you who have been carried by my mayo utero is the term in the Latin translation, which is equivalent to the Hebrew, right? And have been carried uh, or have been carried mayo utero and have been carried from mayo vulva, right? Which are both very feminine terms. And, and, and it says, even to your graying years, I will carry you in my womb, right? This is the declaration of God. And it says, and he says, I will carry you and then through your graying years, and then I will deliver you, right? So, so in this passage, the prophet has even turned death into the delivery mechanism, into the newness of life, and saying that the entire time of your existence, you are carried in the womb of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the word mercy is the same rooted word as womb. So whenever you deal with mercy in the Hebrew scriptures, you're dealing with womb love. And the picture in the Hebrew is gated waters. So, so here's the deal. Imagery doesn't define God, right? If you're right. going to define God, even the word God doesn't define God, you know, because it's a noun for one thing. So it's a problem. And uh, God we got from the Germans, right? It means uh, like water spirits or something like that. But if you define God, even, you know, even our Western uh, modern evangelical um, imagination of Gandalf with a bad attitude, God the Father, you know, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. and uh, uh, that is way more idolatrous because it is such a fixed imagery, right? And, and that's why people say, how could you do a large black African-American woman? It's because we actually have much more of an idolatrous approach to the imagery that we have as Gandalf with a bad attitude. The imagery of God as a father is imagery. It doesn't mean God is male any more than the Holy Spirit always being referred to almost always in the Old Testament as she, and it's feminine, Ruach is feminine. It doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is the female part. It means the entire spectrum of the human creation, the entire spectrum of gender, is embedded and an expression of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Because God is not, God is spirit. God is not encapsulated inside gender. It's a friend of mine who is a pastor for years in a modern evangelical community. He says to me a couple of years ago, he says, I can't believe all those years we believed the universe was birthed into creation by three men in love with each other. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. So. So, you know, and that was what threw my mom off. You know, when Papa came through the door, she tried to read the book because she heard about it from her doctor and her hairdresser. And uh, Not, not and from you. No, no. And she didn't even acknowledge that she was her, my mother when she found, when she, obviously she read the back and it says, 
raised by missionary parents in the highlands of New Guinea, William Paul Young, like how many of those are there, you know? And, but she didn't even acknowledge. It has to be somebody else. Yeah, so she tried to read it and she got to Papa come through the door. She just closed the book, called my sister and said, he's a heretic. Your, your, your brother's a heretic. And she well, meant it and she well, got past funny. it, but yeah. It's funny that you say that because I remember it kind of happened in waves for me. I remember when the book first came out and at first it was all the church people ate it up. And oh, then some, somebody spilled the beans. They said, this guy is a heretic, you know, this whole thing. And, yeah. and from then on, when that got to me, I remember one megachurch pastor uh, doing a series on different movies and media and things. And he said, this is demonic, you know, this whole thing. I know, sold me a lot of books. Yeah, yeah, he really, <laughs> all press is good press. <laughs> oh, hey, where the law comes, sin abounds. If you, if you stand up and go like, don't read this book, sin will abound. Yeah. Right. <laughs> when I read the book, I read it, and then I, but I was reading it through that lens of uh-huh. this may not be good. What am I looking for? I didn't even understand what they were talking about at the time, saying it's bad. It was just Mac in the shack, and it's bad, and, you know, the whole thing. I know. I know. But I remember it, it was several years later. I'd already read the book. I think I'd read it twice, and then the movie came out. And I remember uh, uh, Octavia. Octavia Spencer. Spencer, yep. yeah, blanking on her name. She played uh, God the Father. And there was something about it in that movie, which I thought was beautifully done, by the way. I do too. When I saw the movie, I mean, it, it literally brought me to tears. There was something in me, it, it softened. And I don't know if, I know people hate the God the Father as a woman, but there was something in me. I don't know if I would have resonated with, with this version of God that's in this story had he not been painted in, in the form that you painted him. Right. There are so many people who men have hurt, you know, and even me, I mean, it took me 50 years to wipe the face of my father off the face of God, you know. And so there, you know, and this made the being of God accessible to so many people. And it's like, don't, God is a rock, but God's not a rock. God is a strong tower, but not a strong tower. You know, I mean, it's imagery, <laughs> imagery. There's masculine imagery, feminine imagery, animal imagery, lions and sheep and, and mother hens and eagles and all of this, right? And again, imagery doesn't define God. It just gives us a window through which we can see elements of the character and nature of God. And when you're dealing with the womb love of God, you're dealing with Isaiah saying that God is a nursing mother, you're dealing with the many-breasted one, El Shaddai, and, and the woman who loses the coin. You've got this mix. Almost all the nouns in the Old Testament for God are masculine, but almost all the verbs are feminine. And, um, and it's fascinating. So it's like, no, we need, we need a greater revelation of the character and nature of God. Not to lock God into new imagery. That was never the intent. And be gentle with the people who are so angry about this because they're almost all my own people, my people, right? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, and I get it. I know that, they're, that my people are addicted to certainty. And you, you shake that. Yeah. I, I was in a great conversation yesterday with some folks who are moving from a hyper-reformed theological perspective, you know. And um, at one point, the host, Peter, he says, you know that you just rattled a whole bunch of cages, including my own? <laughs> and I said, do you know that you use the word cages? Wow. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going like another 
word for that is prisons, you know? Yeah. And, and let me tell you that, that my freedom does not give me the right to rip you through the bars of the prison that you call home. You know, that's the work of the Holy Spirit, Man. not mine. And yet to be a participant in rattling the cages, come on, how, how honoring is that? And I'm not doing it to hurt anybody. You know, I'm doing it mostly as I'm the man born blind going like, you know, this could, this could rattle your theology, but let me tell you, I was blind and I can see. And it's this transformation of my understanding of not only the character of God, but who I am as a human being that has elicited the healing and the wholeness that exists. Not that I don't have a lot of finish work because I'm a human being. Come on. Sure. Something that we are very passionate about on our podcast is getting guests on here that have helped form or shape or, or even just have us question what we were, were taught. So rattling our cage, right? Yeah, absolutely. So what has helped change, change you from to what was that point? Was it the, was it the, the marriage whole thing? The was adultery? It seven years? Was it all of that? Oh, or, yeah, well, or was, was there like a more specific turn? No, that, that was pretty specific. Because in order to deal with the, the reality of your life, you have to be exposed. You have to either voluntarily yeah. become exposed or you have to get caught and exposed. And when it says that the Holy Spirit has come to convict the cosmos of its brokenness, right? That mm -hmm. word convict in the Greek is the word to expose. And, it, and, and this is not a God who wants to expose you to humiliate you, but exposure, the unexposed is the unhealed. Right. right? So until you come into the light, you can't deal with the darkness, right? And so there has to be a point of exposure. And it's not like my, there are so many things even in, my, in the way that I grew up that, that I appreciate, you know, my, well, how I was taught to reason and how I was taught to, to look at scripture and, and appreciate scripture. Now I was taught a lot of bad things about it, you know. I ended up replacing the Holy Spirit with the Holy Bible Right, so I had a different Trinity, right? The Father, Son, and Holy Bible. And in and, and, and our denomination, it's because the Holy Spirit kind of vacated after the first century anyway. So once, right. the Bible, once the Bible showed up and the perfect came, we no longer needed the Holy Spirit. And, um, and it's like, well, she's off in Venus somewhere, you know? And um, we're laughing because we were taught the same thing. Oh, so. I know, brother. I'm inside your world because, yeah. because I grew up there. And, um, are so, you, where are you from, by the way? Are you I, from the South was, by any chance? No, but I could have been. And uh, I was born in Grand Prairie, Alberta, way up in northern Canada. Okay. But I Canada. Was, I was uh, Canada. Thank you. I was less than a year old when we moved to the highlands of New Guinea. So my, gotcha. all my first years were in a tribal community in the highland, Cannibal, Cannibal Valley. So, and then when we moved back, we moved back to Canada and, and uh, moved around a lot and stuff like that. So, but... Uh, we were holiness movement, fundamentalist, very reformed. Um, uh, our eschatology was basically late great planet Earth and, and um, Hal Lindsey and all that, you know. So it was an escapist eschatology. Um, our, uh, we believed in the infallible, inerrant word of God uh, as scripture rather than Jesus, you know. You know now I believe it, that, the, that the word is infallible and inerrant and his name is Jesus. Big difference. 
that's the world that I grew up in. And the addiction to certainty was absolutely front and center. And it was intellectual certainty, right? So yeah. all your words like belief and knowing, they were all intellectually grounded, right? Instead of, if you want to properly translate pistis, which is the Greek word for believe, you should translate it trust, right? Because trust is a whole different, different thing than believe, right? Because most people who intellectually believe these set of propositions don't trust God. This is, this is part of the beauty of religion. You can try to live up to a set of expectations without ever trusting God. You don't have to trust God. And for those of us where trust has been violated and broken as children, trust is, that's, that's not the game here. That's too risky, yeah. right? So in my life, the, the loss of the facade, and, and I didn't create a facade to try to, to fool people. I created it to try to change. As weird as that is. So here my internal life is a wreck, right? So the shack is a place I don't want to invite anybody. It's where I store my addictions and hide my secrets and stuff. So I build a facade out here that I can paint as fast as I can pick up your expectations. And it's all based on a very strong central belief, a, a commitment to the idea that at the core of my being, I'm a piece of shit. That's mm. the commitment, right? And, and my theology told me that that was true, right? And so now I'm creating a facade. I'm trying to live up to the righteousness that is demanded by whoever the audience is or trying to live up to whatever that, I think that I can perceive that they want or need. And so I'm a different person in every different situation, right? And, but I'm living from the outside in. So I'm constantly hypervigilant. I want to, I'm trying to pick up what you want me to be so that I can, I can be like, you can go like, he's a good guy, you know, or I can, I can get those little slivers of uh, affection and approval that keep me alive long enough to the next one. Right. So I'm addicted to your responses. And if you, I, I played piano a lot when I was a kid and, and I would do these concerts and a hundred people could say they loved it. And if one person said they thought it sucked, I was trashed for two weeks. But see what this did is this, they told me what I already believed to be the truth about who I was. And so even the people that offered me kindness and approval, I didn't actually believe them because they didn't know my secrets. That's why secrets are so disabling. I can't tell you because I'm terrified of the look of disgust on your face when you find out. But, be, but when you offer me kindness and approval, I don't actually believe you because you don't know my secrets. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so that kindness and approval is actually as fake as the version of everyone that I'm giving yeah. out. Yeah, and, and building the facade is, I'm hoping that if I can just do this right and perfectly, that, that I'll become this facade, that that's who I actually am, right? And somehow it'll obliterate the fact that I'm a piece of crap, you know? But I can't get away from that, from that commitment. I mean, it's just like every failure, every inability to be perfect, and especially when you grow up in a world of religion that tells you that sin is all about behavior, right? So every nuance from perfection is an exposure to what you believe to be the truth about who you are as a piece of nothing. Like you're depraved, you have a sin nature. I mean, if you have a sin nature, 
then everything you do that is good is actually false. It's fake. You're not being real. The questions that I have, or a question that I have is, so you seem like you've had, you've been through a lot. You've had a lot of reconstruction, if you will, a lot of just re-realizations, things like that. So, but, but I have to believe that you're, you're still wrestling with things, that you're still uncovering things, even sure. to this day. Sure. There's, oh, lots of, so, there's lots of finish work, but let me tell you some things that are different. The way that I believed before everything blew up didn't produce one ounce of coherency that lasted, right? So right. now I can sit here, I'm almost 65 years old, and I can tell you that my capacity to love is beyond what I could even have imagined was wow. even possible back then. My ability to be present, the coherency between my inside world and my outside world. Here's the line. Wholeness, holiness, wholeness. Wholeness is when the way of your being matches the truth of your being. So the, the question becomes, what's the truth of your being? Well, if the truth of your being is you're a piece of crap, guess what? You're going to end up acting like one and you're going to let people treat you like one. Because as a, as a person thinks in their heart, so are they existentially, so are they experientially. Not so are they ontologically, that is in the truth of their being. They just right. mask the truth of your being. So here's your options. You're either made in the image and likeness of God, or like Luther said, you are snow-covered dung, yeah. right? Which yeah. is piece of shit theology, right? So those are your choices. So what is the truth of who you are as a human being? Now, it's a very different conversation when you go like, oh my gosh, the truth of my being is that I'm pure of heart. Mm. That's actually the truth of my being. And it's been covered over by all this history and experience and abuse and the accusations and the perpetrations that I've participated in myself, right? But if, if the truth of my being is that I'm a piece of garbage, then when I act like one, what do you expect? And so it's like I'm constant. And our hope then theologically was that Jesus would come along and he would wrap up this piece of crap with his righteousness so that when God the Father was looking around and he's kind of smelling something, like, what is that? It smells like <laughs> shit, you know? And, and it's like and Jesus is spraying the little propitiation, redemption, atonement. The poopery. The poopery. Oh, the poopery. Yeah, the poopery. <laughs> the poop cover-uppery. And, um, and sneaks you into heaven, right? So that when, when God the Father looks at you, he doesn't see you. He sees Jesus, right? Yeah. And, and, and we write these horrible songs like, you are good, you are good, there is nothing good in me. That's a piece of shit theology, right? And, uh, and it's like, oh my gosh, what are we continuing to drive into the, what we believe about ourselves? Right. And, right. and it's like, no, when the revelation happens that, you know what, you're made in the image and likeness of God, you are not snow covered dung, you are dung covered diamond. So I, I keep getting a feeling of like, you, you've pretty much done away with what you are supposed to believe. Right? Or uh -huh. pretty much. I'm still uncovering things that I have, I'm having to undo, right? Me too. And but so the, inc curious. the increment, and oh, here's the other thing I was going to say. What used to take me six months to deal with takes about six hours. So that's one of the big changes 
Now, it's not okay. that I don't, it's not that I can't be triggered, but here's the picture that I have is that the movement toward health is a spiral, not a circle. It's a spiral that goes deeper and deeper and deeper into the soul. And, and it's that way because you're so incredibly crafted. If God was to address the things that are way deep in the soul, when you're up here, you would not have the capacity to handle it, right? So there wow. is an incremental movement, but you're never the same person, even though the territory looks familiar. You don't go in circles and you definitely don't backslide a term that was only used for nations and never for people, right? And so it's like, no, this is about this increment. God who has begun a good work in you will complete it, right? This is work out your salvation in, in, in fear, reverence, and, and aware of your, your frailty as a human being, for it is God in you working to do this, right? So this incremental movement is deeper, deeper. So you... You're so incredibly crafted, there are no quick fixes, right? We don't like process because we're so shame-based that every increment from perfection is an accusation, right? And one of, the sh one of the things about shame, shame is an attack against ontology. So shame is an attack against the truth of your being. Guilt is a statement about your behavior, right? So guilt is I've done something wrong. Shame is I am something wrong. And suddenly you realize shame is the enemy of the human soul. Guilt is a acknowledgement and a respect and a dignifying of the human ability to choose and the consequences that come as a result of that. So guilt is in the realm of behavior. Shame is in the realm of ontology and is a false accusation. So what does the word sin mean? Hamartia. Ha is a negation, which means a, a negative, right? Or a, a dis or an un. Meros, which is the root for martia, means origin. So sin is not missing the mark of behavior. It's missing the mark of ontology, of the truth of your being. So anything that masks, covers up the, the reality of who you are, made in the image and likeness of God, that's the brokenness that harmartia is, right? Right. When, okay. you, when you begin to see this, suddenly you realize, I can grieve, I can deal with guilt, right? I can deal with the consequences of my choices that have hurt people. I can forgive and forgive myself. All of that is in that realm. But shame has no voice. Shame who says, you know what? You are a piece of shit. Now, having said all that, just because you're not a piece of shit doesn't mean you're not full of shit. Shit, yeah. <laughs> I'm always full of shit. <laughs> but see, but see, this is this is the reality. We're not snow-covered dung. We are right. dung-covered right. diamond. You know, right. we're the immortal diamond to use Richard Rohr's term. You know, and so it's like the image of God is the truth about who we are. We don't have a sin nature. That's false theology, because if you said you had a sin nature, where do you think it came from? You think, like, where did it come from? Did Satan, Satan's not a creator. So, right? Paul, Paul, going along with what you're saying, I just have a quick question. Um, yes. Because the, the evangelical or the mainstream way of thinking, I, I don't know if it's mainstream. I think it is. Is kind West, of, it certainly is. Sure, yeah, in the West. So, so the gospel goes a little something like this. 
we suck, God is good, Jesus came down so that we didn't have to suck anymore, etc. Use the word separation instead of the word suck. Yeah. yeah we, we do suck, but we don't even get to that question. We assume separation, right? On all religions need separation. And so God blows out creation like a soap bubble that disengages itself from the soap wand and floats there in what? Not space, because space is created. So it's got to be something, what? Who knows? But it floats out there, and it screws itself up. So God sends Jesus over to the soap bubble to build a bridge back. So now we got, we got separation, which religion needs, and now we've got a sacrifice, which religion needs, and now we've got magic, which religion needs, because we call it sinner's prayer or whatever. that gets you from the bubble over to the good guy camp, right? Back to God. And so the three elements of religion are absolutely embedded in Western Christianity. And, and that's separation. And my first question, one of the big questions that I had when I started wrestling with all these things is, so where was creation created? And the early church was pretty much unanimous in their declaration that the, that the entire cosmos is created not only inside the love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but specifically inside Christ. Not anything that has come into being has come into being apart from him. Everything that was created, Colossians, this is Colossians, everything that was created, both the visible and the invisible, was created in him and is now sustained, held together in him, for him, through him, by him. Right? So no separation. Separation then becomes the delusion. And it's a delusion that is so real to us that we, in our turning away from the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we cast a shadow through which we then define the nature of God as well as the nature of what it means to be human. That's where we come up with piece of shit theology. And so in our delusion, Jesus has got to come find us. And, and he's going to enter into our delusion of separation in order to destroy its power and the fear of it. That's incredible because we, well, I guess I'll speak for myself. I had to step away from the mega church that I was super involved with to really find Jesus. Of course. Like I, I had to step away to find myself, to find Jesus, to find love for people that I had never loved before. It, it, it's been, it's been incredible. And to even listen to guys like yourself, to watch the movie that, that was inspired by your book, I would have never given stuff like that a chance. And you I'm so glad that I, I have. Yeah, I, I had a friend who's a seminary professor who wrote a book on hermeneutics, you know, how to interpret scripture and said, uh, what do you think? So I read it and I said, it's good, you know, you got some really good ways of perspectives and stuff, but you left out the really significant issues with interpreting scripture. He goes like, I did? Like, what, <laughs> what did I leave out? I said, you left out job security. I said, job security impacts the interpretation of scripture more than almost anything that I know. And how about, <laughs> how about peer recognition? How about I've taught it this way for 30 years, I can't change now, right? So, so fear of exposure or fear of change. Being put right? out. Correct. And so I said, these are all affective issues. They're not intellectual ones, but they control right. your, your perception then is released through your emotions that control your intellectual veracity in terms of the interpretation of scripture. And so, yeah, a lot of people, I had to, 
I had to lay the Bible down for 15 years because it had been so, it's so triggering to me. Yeah. Right. Right. And, um, and so, you know, yeah, I mean, I, I, I felt the same way. I would, I don't know if I would say triggered as much for myself, but I had to, so I had to take away, I had to take a break from the Bible to be able to see Jesus in a real light. Uh, it's almost like I needed to take, I need to step away from the Bible to really see what the Bible had been to see the about. word. You have right, to step away right. from the scripture. And this is Jesus saying to the Pharisees, right? You're, you're looking at the scriptures as if they contain eternal life. They don't. Yes. Right? Yes, exactly. And, and it's like, no, I mean, it's a fantastic collection of poetry and allegory and, and all kinds of different forms of literature and human stories all wrapped in it, including human mythology about yes. the nature and character of God. So not only is scripture an unfolding revelation of the character and nature of God, it's an exposure of human brokenness in terms of their propensity to place their, to place their own hurt upon the face of God, and especially religiously. So, so here's, here's a fundamental thing for me. God is not a religious being. God is a relational being, right? Yeah. And yeah. So, so there's not a religious bone in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right. And, and so, so here we are in a world of religions. If God is going to come and find a way into our darkness, what kind of language do you think he's going to speak so that we can even begin to understand what God is saying? Well, he's so, going to speak our religious language like sacrifice. Right. And from the, prof from the prophets, we know that God hates sacrifice. The smell of your bulls and your goats are a stench in my nostrils, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to submit to your sacrificial system in order to destroy everything about it that's not of love's kind, right? So let me ask you this then. Okay, so we have systematical theology, right? Yeah, early church never did. Okay, we, so that, that I already know. I think I got know it from the lawyers. Yeah, I think I know what you're going to say. I, I was going to say, do you think God is a systematical God at all? No. There we go. Okay. No. Uh, talk to me about your wife and tell me how systematical she is. <laughs> you know, you're dealing with person here. So therefore, you're dealing with mystery at the core. Yeah, that's you know, awesome. Talk to me about your kids. They're not systematical. And it's not that there isn't things that are true inside of them. That's sure. That's fine. But we're trying to categorize God and put God into specific boxes. The early church refused to do that. They, if they had a conversation about God, they would start with the Trinity and end with the Trinity. Hey. That's, that's the gospel of John, right? Yeah. If we're going to have a conversation, let's start with in the beginning, right? There yeah. is this relationship. And everything that is created is created inside that relationship. And everything that Jesus then assumes you got included into. And yes, you are granted the respect to say no, like Adam was, like we all have been, to say no to love, no to kindness, no to forgiveness. But you will never escape the embrace of love. You cannot. Yeah. I'll tell you the things that cannot separate you from the love of God. Anything present, anything future right? Those mm. things cannot separate anything in life and anything in death. And no created thing could ever separate you from the love of God. Because why? In Christ, you're created. 
This is why yeah. Paul was able to stand up on Mars Hill and, and declare to pagans who knew nothing about Jesus, you are all God's children and you live and move and have your being in God, like your poets have even said in the hymn to Zeus. You live and move and have your being in him. And, and he's, he's agreeing with John 1. John 1 verse 3, not, that, not anything that has come into being has come into being apart from him, right? We live and move and have our being in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Whether we know it or not, whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we trust it or not, right? And, and we're all on this existential journey of, of perishing, that is making choices contrary to love, or being saved, but that's a present tense reality based on the finished work of Jesus in which the entire cosmos was reconciled to the Father. For God was in Christ and completely once for all time, continuing forever, reconciled the cosmos to himself, not counting their sins against them. So, Paul, th this kind of starts to sound like, like universalism. universalism. Ah, I, know, I know. Well, it is in the sense that, you know, Everybody's a universalist in a sense. If God created the whole universe, in that sense, you're a universalist. Uh, but there's all these gradations of what the term means. Right, right. And, and As to what if degree you, you're at, you are. Well, and it's like, are you talking about the inclusion of all humanity in the finished work of Jesus? And that's where there are two big sep separations theologically. There is, well, you're, you're included if you do the magic, you know? say the sinner's prayer or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But, but you have to still save yourself. Jesus only offered the possibility of, doing, of being saved, right? Or, even worse, God picked certain people. It's, it's like I was with these two guys. They, they were seminary students. And it's so funny. I go to a seminary, and the pastoral care people and the counseling people, they all sit in the front. The theological students sit in the back, you know, and with their arms folded. And um, yeah. so these two guys come up, and they want to talk to me about inerrancy and uh, universalism. And uh, so we start talking, and at one point I say to them, you know, a lot of things started, started and began to change for me when I had children because they kind of interfered with my intellectual certainty, you know. And I said, uh, maybe when you, have, when you have kids that, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll change some of the questions you're asking. And one of the guys turns to me and he says, well, I have two sons. And then inside I go, shit, you know, like, oh, man, <laughs> totally stepped in that one, right? So I said, I said, oh, let me ask you a question. How are you going to feel if God has chosen, elected your two sons to be an expression of his justice forever? That's code. That's theology code speak for how are you going to feel if God elected, chose your two sons to go to eternal conscious torment hell? Right? And he looks at me and he says, not only would I be ecstatic about it, I would have to be. Oh my gosh. And I look at him and you know what I want to ask him? How long have you been struggling with porn? Because he has so disassociated his head from his heart that something's got to fill the gap. Or wow. I want to say, tell me about your dad. Yeah. Because obviously that disassociation is there for a reason. He, he is so broken in order to say something like that. And I mean, and we've done that theologically. We look at Abraham and Isaac and think it's a story about you know, the validity of sacrificing children to prove to God that you have God as a priority. And, and, it, and it brutalized and, and massacred generations of missionary kids. 
whose parents were willing to put them, is you're all on the altar of sacrifice laid, and they laid their kids on the altar of sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's Molech, that's Baal, that's not Jesus, you know, and it's, and so universalism, we're, was everyone included? This is a true and worthy statement in the entire cosmos, that Jesus is a savior of all mankind, especially believers. Like, it's to Paul who was writing to Timothy, like, you know, you got to remember that even the people in your own community of faith, they're included, you know? <laughs> It's like, yeah, but, but if I be lifted up, I will drag all men to myself. Not draw is old English for drawing back the longbow, but it's only used in the New Testament for dragging something like the net so full of fish, they had to be dragged onto the shore. Paul and Silas had to be dragged before the council. And so if I be lifted up, I will drag all men to myself. And, and this is Romans, right? When he died, you died. The whole cosmos died. When he rose, you rose. When he ascended, you ascended. This is early church orthodox theology. This is not something new, weird stuff. And so the idea of universal finished work of Christ is the consistent expression of the faith of Jesus throughout the history of the church, right? And so that's a form of universalism. Some people they say, so do you believe that everyone ultimately will be fully restored face-to-face -face with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And that's a form of universal, it's universal reconciliation. And, and I go, I hope so, but I don't know. Because right. there's this tension that is held in Scripture about, I'm not going to presume that, that all will be ultimately saved, but I'm not going to presume they won't be. And, right. and, and that invites a whole bunch of conversation that wouldn't otherwise be possible. Like, will you have the ability to make a choice post-mortem? Absolutely. If you don't, then the very thing that God has protected from the beginning, which is your ability to say no, because apart from your ability to say no, love is not possible. If your no doesn't matter, your yes doesn't matter either. And for God to ever take that away from you is a denial both of relationship and the possibility of love. And if God ever does that, why didn't God do it from the beginning and save us all this grief and destruction that we've imposed on each other? One of my favorite things, I mean, I've heard you say this several times, uh, kind of referring to yourself as a hopeful universalist. So yeah, kind of, kind of. But really, it's, it's ultimate reconciliation that is the real biblical term. Okay. And, and if you want to see a really great article, in fact, let me refer to you to a couple of them. Yeah. If, you go, if you go to my website, which is just simple WM for William, that is my first name, WMPaulYoung.com. And on the tabs, you'll see resources. And it's, it's specifically constructed to have resources that are helpful. And there's a couple videos there, but there's a lot of articles and then references to books like McDonald's, Unspoken Sermons, and things like that. But in the articles, Brad Jerzak has two of them that I would highly recommend. One of them is called, Why I Sound Like a Universalist, But I'm Not One, okay, which is a great <laughs> article. And the other one that he wrote is, that is on that list is called the Three, the Three Views of Salvation, which is entirely helpful. There's a whole community of us who are trying to engage this conversation in a way that's not helpful. I mean, in a way that is helpful and not like, oh, we're, we're smart people talking about theological smartness, you know? I don't care 
about that. I don't care about yeah. notoriety, don't care about platform, don't care about following, don't care about branding, which is only used for slaves and for cattle. I, I just don't care, right? What I care about is what is happening in the broken hearts of human beings. That's yeah. what I care about. And I am so aware of the dastardly deeds of our theological presuppositions and the kind of havoc that they have spread up upon the planet, you know, let alone in our, in our domestic Western evangelical world. I mean, we haven't even started to talk about some of the big confrontations that are coming, like our commitment um, to Christianity instead of to Jesus, you know, yeah. and a Christianity that is much more attuned to the law of Moses than it ever has been to Jesus, you know, and, yeah. and our, our sacrificial system, our military industrial complex that sacrifices kids and writes hymns to, to and I've got a police officer son. So don't, I've got a sword over here that was given to me by special forces guys, because Jesus is the only thing that kept only reality that has kept them from killing themselves. And so, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not outside. I know the sacrifice that people have made to the machine. But I know that we're part of a kingdom that is not the machine. And we right. don't know that in the West. We, we don't even want to approach that conversation. Let me give you a story that rattles cages, but it's helpful. <laughs> and that is, uh, so last year there was a young girl who came from Indonesia as a foreign exchange student. And she came as a Buddhist you know, from Indonesia, and she had a massive encounter with Jesus. And she read the shack, and it, it literally moved her to a different place in, in her perception of the character and nature of God. And she got involved with a youth group. Uh, she's like 16 years old. The host father of the family she stayed with, is um, as he knows me. And one day she says to him, she said, I only have like a couple weeks before I go back to Indonesia. She had spent, I don't know, six months here or whatever. And she said, on my bucket list is to meet the author of the shack. And so he called me up oh. and said, would you, would you meet with her? And I'm going like, are you kidding? Of course I will. So we met at St. Arbuck's, you know, and um, <laughs> well, that's what it says, St. Arbuck's. Oh, yeah. The patron saint of staying awake in church. That's so, right. Um, so, and we sat, <laughs> we, we sat for a couple hours outside of Starbucks and she just asked her questions and she was incredibly thoughtful and intelligent about her own journey and her questions that she was asking. And, and, and it's, the conversation slowly spirals into something that is really at her heart. And she says, okay, so I'm confused about something, she said. My youth group, whom I love dearly and they love me, they've been talking to me about going back to Indonesia and how they're going to be praying for me. And, and, and they were praying that I would have courage to take a stand now that I've become a Christian. And you, you and I, we, we all know that language. Yeah. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. Uh, and, and she says, my, my grandma's a Buddhist and I, I never bought into Buddhism. I just, you know, I went because I love my grandma, so I would go with her like every week to the Buddhist temple. My mom's a Buddhist, and, and I don't know how and what this means to take a stand now that I'm a Christian, and, and how am I supposed to do that? And she, you could tell that it was just kind of tearing her apart. And I said to her, oh, it's really simple. Just don't be a Christian. 
be a, be a Buddhist follower of Jesus. And trust the Holy Spirit in your heart. The Holy, ask the Holy Spirit, how is the best way to love my, my mom and my grandma? Don't be surprised if the Holy Spirit says, well, let's go to the temple. Because guess what? You're not going to run into anybody who's not already in me, because all of creation is created in me. You're not going to run anybody who is not a child of God, Acts 17. And, and I'm already there. It's not like you're going to go someplace that I'm not. Right? Trust the Holy Spirit in you, because the Holy Spirit will tell you how best to love. I said, you know, I even know Christians who are followers of Jesus. And, and it's true. I do know some Christians who are followers of <laughs> Jesus. But I know a lot yeah. of people who aren't Christians who are followers of Jesus. And we don't realize that Christianity has become a religion. The goal of Jesus' incarnation is not Christianity. It's a relationship of love, right? And so it's like I tell my people all the time, please, be a Christian when it's helpful. But it's a cultural... When I'm with my... Um, if I meet an Islamic person, a person who's a Muslim, and they said, are you, are you a Christian? They're asking me a cultural question. They're asking me a religious question, right? Like, right, are, we, right. are, we, are we enemies? That's kind of what they're asking. And my answer is, my dad was. And that's it. That's the end of the conversation. Because now they realize that I'm relating to it as part of my family history, not part of my identity, right? So yes, I'm influenced by Christianity. And there's beautiful things about that religion. But guess what? You're going to find beautiful things about all kinds of religions. Jesus, Absolutely. it's not, it's not you, you don't find God in religions because God is trying to affirm religion. God is not religious. You're, you'll find Jesus there because he loves the people that brought that religion to the table. So he's going to climb into their religion and their delusions of religion and begin to dismantle it kindly for some of them and destructively for others so that anything that is not of love's kind remains. So, so I'm going to obliterate anything that is not of love's kind. And that's, that's why you find God present in religions, not to, wow. not to validate them. And that includes Christianity. That, that is a, that is a, a cage shaker or, or whatever. Cage rattler. Uh, yeah. Cage, cage rattler. You go. Uh, yeah. go like, you know, I feel like you, you walked up a, and shook it. There's a rattle on the end of a snake, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's perfect. He's a snake. He's a, he's a snake in grass, whatever they say. Well, well Paul, we're so thankful that you agreed to come on. And I'm honored to be with you, brother. Absolutely. we feel super honored and you know we we were joking around before this podcast uh before we started um we're, we're pretty new to this uh we're we're fairly a fairly new podcast but we've had a lot of traction and we were just kind of like holy crap paul young wants to come on our podcast like yeah. he agreed are you kidding like this is awesome that reminds so, me when, when croatia called up and said would you come speak to our country you know because really <laughs> to our country and, I, and i'm and i'm going like you know i was cleaning toilets and when i wrote the shack i was i had three jobs i was shipping out soldering tips and doing all the janitorial so cleaning all the toilets and i was in a hot food line and uh, i was doing web conferencing on the side i was a hotel night clerk for part of that time so for like a two and a half year period there. So when I wrote the shack, those are the kind of jobs I'm doing. So when Croatia calls up and says, hey, would you come talk to our country because we're really broken? And uh, yeah. oh, which is a great, 
Let me finish with this story because you'll love this. Yes. So, so they, they fly me and Kim and one of our daughters into Zagreb, you know, the capital. And I'm speaking on national television and all that kind of stuff. And, and they said, we have, we've put together this really great uh, gathering, but we don't know how many people are coming. It's in the city square in the middle of the capital. And so we don't know how many people will be there, but there'll be like four or five PhDs that you'll be in a conversation with for an hour on a panel. And then we're gonna open it up to the community for questions. But we've started our summer vacation, so we don't know how many people are gonna be there. Standing room only, places packed, right? And so we do this hour thing and it's great and all that. And then they open it up to the community and people's hands all over the plaza go up. And uh, there's a guy sitting to the right of me in the front row, looks like Tolstoy. You know, your imagination of Tolstoy. He's got the beard, I mean, the little goatee thing and the mustache, and he's got the, the top hat. He's got um, a, a three-piece vested suit that's immaculate. He's got this beautiful tie, the cravat, the, uh, the tie and then the thing in the pocket. And then he's got a, a cane with a silver handle on top. And it's just total distinguished, right? And he, oh slowly raises his hand up and everybody in the plaza puts theirs down. And you go like, huh. To this day, I don't know who that was, but, but obviously they knew who it was. And he stands up and in really good English, which everything had been in Croatian and then translated, right? Uh, interpreted. And uh, so in really good English, which is then interpreted into Croatian, he says this, he says, you know, our country over the last centuries has been a series of revolutions and we are very, very broken, but we are always trying to see if there might be a new revolutionary who could heal our broken hearts. And he said, I've, I've read everything that you've written and I believe you are a revolutionary. Do you consider yourself a revolutionary? Hmm. That was the question, right? And, and, you know, what I have found is that it's really true that the Holy Spirit will give you what to say when you stand before kings and princes, right? And it's one of those yeah. moments, and we've all experienced it. You're in a conversation with someone, and out of your mouth comes something that you've never heard before, but makes you sound like incredibly brilliant. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's, it's like the Holy Spirit loves participation, right? And, and so without even thinking out of my mouth comes, because this is a question I've never heard. I mean, never even considered, right? Do you consider yourself a revolutionary? And out of my mouth comes, no. I don't consider myself a revolutionary. I consider myself a child and children are by nature revolutionaries. And he goes, yes. <laughs> and, and the whole plaza erupts. I mean, it's just like, and I'm going like, thank you, Holy Spirit. We will have more, please. Because there is no, <laughs> it was the perfect answer in, in that situation in a community of broken hearts. It's like, we've got to go back to being the child, right? Unless That's you good. become like a child, you won't even see the reality of what we're talking about. It's, it's got to work. It's got to work for children and first century slaves. Children in terms of simplicity 
and reality for century slaves in terms of being in coerced environments. And it's got to work for both of them. So if it doesn't, it's probably not true. And mm. uh, so that's, wow. Uh, yeah. What a great story. Isn't it sweet? Oh yeah, my gosh. That's yeah. so good. Yeah. Well, Paul, this has been, uh, this has been a lot of things, but it's been good. It's been really Thank good. I'm um, thrilled to be a part of it. Yeah, this is, we're just so thankful for your contribution to this exploration and journey that is faith. And uh, I know there's tons of people that agree and tons that don't agree with you, but I just, I find it all fascinating. And, and quite frankly, I think there's a lot about it that's just really beautiful. And so and, just- And the question is what, what resonates with your heart? Doesn't mean what's easy, but what yeah. resonates. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and because we have a longing that is birthed by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for that which is true and real and authentic and right. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, move in those directions, that which is true and beautiful. So That's I true. think this is a beautiful gospel. Yeah. Well, well thank I you think, so much, Paul. You're welcome. Hey, I, I was, I was going to say your interview went great. So you're officially a third member of this podcast. So sweet. I mean, We'll send the paperwork <laughs> over and no. uh, honor to be with you in a part. Yes. absolutely. <laughs> well, thanks again, Paul. Uh, tell welcome. Kim, thank you for letting us steal you for a second. I will do that. I, is there, is I, there I didn't get to do a drive-by with my grandbabies to be with you. So you just know. Oh goodness. This, this mattered. Is there thank anything you so that you much. want our listeners to know? Like, do you have anything that you would like to talk ah, about no. in a podcast, anything like that? No, whatever. And if you go to the website, <laughs> you can find those articles and those pieces. And plus it points you to a bunch of different directions and that's all helpful. So no, I'm, right. I'm just thrilled. Thank you. Okay. So Thank good. you, brother. You bet. Blessings on the rest of your day. Bye. You Bye. Bye. I'll tell you what, dude, I know that this guy has gotten a ton of crap and being a heretic and all this kind of stuff. And, and that's fine. Maybe we agree. Maybe we don't. I don't know. Here's what I want to say though about him. I mean, of all the things I could say about him, it has nothing to do with his theology or how wacky anything is or is not. Do you not just feel like he's a kind, gentle, loving guy? Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, I, I don't, that sounds kind of cheesy and frou-frou, but I just, dude, from the minute he, he started engaging with us, I thought, wow, this, there's something about just how he speaks. And I genuinely, I think he does really want to love people. Well, the, the overwhelming thing that I kept thinking, and I, and I didn't want to say this, but like, I believe him wholeheartedly when he said, I just feel whole and true to who I am. Yeah. Right. And I well, think there's definitely that, a confidence there. I mean, he's not, he knows who he is. I mean, well, yeah, but the, the flip side of what I was about to say is, I mean, I remember telling people like, dude, this guy is, is off. Like he's wrong. Stuff oh yeah. Like that. Back in the day, I wasn't whole. I didn't know who I was. So the, the piece of me, there's a piece of me that goes, okay, this guy might catch a lot of crap, but is it from people that maybe aren't whole or know who they are at all, all together? Does that make sense? Well, it's, it's hard for me to even, I mean, I'll be honest, most of my life through all the theological shifts and the things I've learned about the Bible and, and, and all of it, I mean, I've not been a shift. What? I said, oh, shift. Oh, he's cracking funnies. All right. <laughs> uh, oh, shift. 
Uh, it's that shift theology. Yeah. <laughs> I meant to start counting how many times that was being said at one point. I was like, wow, we need a ticker for this. Yeah. But no, but it, what's interesting for me is like, it's, it's so hard for me to be judgmental against anybody's theology or way of thinking just because of how staunch I've been in certain, I mean, you remember me, we joke about my sure. Calvinist stage, yeah. but like, I was, I've made people cry over arguing for the sake of the gospel. And I don't think that's what it's about. And I'm, I'm just, so for me, does it make sense? Yeah, dude. Cause I've not been whole most of my life and heck maybe I'm I'm, not trying to call people that would argue or disagree with him. I'm not trying to say people that are that way are not whole. Well, I'm not saying, I'm saying that about me though. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Well, I'm saying that because, I can only speak for me yeah. and what I know, what I've experienced. And that's the way I was when I wasn't whole and I wasn't who, sure of who I was. Yeah. That was but incredible. Right. Dude. Yeah. Honestly, I'm going to have to go back and listen to this. It's funny that it, I was telling somebody uh, today about our podcast, you know, and I was telling them like, it, it's fun to, to post this stuff and, and do the, do the, the, the podcast part of it. But honestly, I go back and listen to it for myself especially with some of these guests like this, because dude, he said some things and I'm going to have to process them. And, you know, we joke about cognitive dissonance, but I seriously at one point was like, I love what he's saying and I'm freaked out by what he's saying. And I don't even want to think about it right now because it's a lot to process. Yeah. But yeah. So I'm just really glad that we got to experience who Paul Young is aside from the book. Who Paul like, is, just yes. Paul. Just Paul. Not yeah. not William Paul Young, author of. Yeah. Paul. I mean, we talked about the shack, but I've never heard him talk about it from the standpoint of his marriage and and all that. I did not know that it was his personal experience. I don't know if, if well, you heard about that. I've heard him allude to that in something else that I listened to with him. But yeah, I, I was so inspired, dude, when you're I hate, I, I wanted to say this to him, but I didn't want to get too wrapped up on, on one, one thing for too long. But, you know, I hate that uh, so many people just dog him because first, because his fictional book, mind you, offended their theology. And I'm sitting here going like, first of all, fine, if you don't agree with everything he said, but am I the only one going after hearing that story going, eh, that's so, that's beautiful, dude, that this book is the effort of this 11 year restorative process between, but because he did something stupid and now it's also, it's as public as the book in a sense, you know, because now he's sharing. Right. Right. Well, the, the, the reaction that I had to his story and how that related to the book in my mind, I was going, yeah, of course he wrote a book to help his, his family understand. Of course he did. Yeah. Well, it's Why interesting. Would he not have with that skill set of writing and, and doing all that. Of course he did. Yeah. It's so funny too. Like I was thinking about, I feel like every author or not author, every guest we have, we can sort of, you know, you can find that um, shared interest or similarity between you. You know, sure. I, you guys talked about it. It's different stuff at some point that resonated with you on a certain level. But when he was talking about, you know, working his three jobs and he he said, he said, I've always written, I've written poetry and songs and things like that. And, you know, he never thought in his wildest dreams that he would be 
doing what he's doing now. And I love that, you know, one of the things we talk about a lot is how guys, they sort of put pastorship or anything, fill in the blank, kind of on a pedestal. It feels like Paul was doing this anyway. He was writing anyway. And then through this whole process, his wife said, you know, write something, blah, 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 give it to us and the kids. And so it was a byproduct of him walking the path. It, It wasn't, oh my gosh, how can I write the next big thing? And there's something really sweet and humble about that. I, I don't know. I, and I, I feel like I'm, agree. I, I'm fanboying a little bit. I'm trying not to, but our listeners are probably making fun of me. But <laughs> Well, cool, man. I, I don't want to fanboy too much longer. Let's, uh, let's wrap it up. I'm really excited. We've got, some, we've got some incredible guests coming on in the next few weeks. So yeah, I don't even want to say who they are. But Justin Thank Bieber, we can't wait for you to be on the show. It's going to be great. <laughs> yeah. Backstreet Boys, cannot wait. Yeah, I, I would take either one of those, to be honest with you. Yeah, me too. Um, hey, guys, do us a favor, if you would, please. Uh, you may have noticed that we've tried to increase our social media. Nichols and I both suck at social media, by the way, so give us a break. Oh, I'm but, the worst at it. But we really are. We're trying to increase uh, the listenership, Um not just for the sake of growing a podcast, but we find this conversation of life and faith and God and the whole thing. We think it's a really important conversation. Um, So we want you to do a couple things. If you would go leave us a review on Facebook or on any of the podcast reviews and then get ready because we're in talks of trying to start a little bit of a, uh, a community of sorts. We we don't want this to be a one-sided thing where Nichols and I talk your ear off and you listen to our podcast and that's that. So we're looking for ways to open the doors so that other people can ask questions or make comments and there can be a conversation because at the end of the day, this isn't really about two mats on a podcast. I mean, right. There's a ton of podcasts out there that are really great. So um, I sound like a pastor. Hey guys, we understand that there's a lot of podcasts out there and we're just one podcast, but anyway, so yeah, do that I, I would say in the interim, <laughs> Just go and, and maybe give us a rating. Uh, if you have some questions that maybe you want to ask, shoot us a message. Shoot us a, a direct message. Or you or, can email us. If you, if you're, email uh, us, yeah. If you're old school, email us at helmettheorypodcast at gmail.com or you can follow us on Facebook, Helmet Theory Podcast, or Instagram, Helmet Theory Podcast. So, yeah, we hope you enjoy this episode, and uh, we can't wait to be back with you guys. We've got some good guests, so let's rock and roll. Holla. That's like your outro. Holla. Yeah.